So when I went to bed last night, I thought Carlos Correa was a San Francisco giant, or at least about to be. We saw something come up, and then all of a sudden I wake up, and he's a New York Met. It's just baseball show. We have a lot to unpack for this emergency December 21st episode. Peter, um, you're on the West Coast, so I think it was even weirder for you, right? When, when did you find out? I saw you text in the group chat. You're just like, what just happened? And that's how I found out, because I woke up late this morning. What is happening, Peter? It's 11.39 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'm in California. I'm laying in my bed about to go to sleep. I'm actually looking at Jaguars versus Jets. I'm trying to do my research <laughs> for Thursday night football. And I get an alert on my phone from John Heyman. Carlos Correa is a Met. 12 years, $315 million. I comment under that post, what? What? what and then he comes out with a couple of more tweets saying that there was a failed physical or at least i don't even know if it was a complete failure i just think that the giants and their team doctors had a difference of opinion yeah. of a lingering issue that Crea has always had mm-hmm. and then the next tweet from Heyman is carlos Crea will now play third base and i quote tweet the Heyman tweet and i say it's 2.39 a.m. Eastern time because that's, you know, that's New York Mets. It's signed on the East Coast. And I say, what is going on? And then I wait a little bit because it's not that I don't trust John Heyman. It's just why, really has, nobody, why has nobody else reported it? So I waited a little bit. It's now midnight on Pacific Standard Time, 3 a.m. Eastern. I say it's been ten minutes. Where are the other reports? Also, also, can we can we highlight the fact that like how sports reporting has become so ridiculous that like we're like, what the fuck? It's been ten minutes. Has anybody confirmed this yet? It's like ten minutes. Ten minutes is a eon Eternity. of time. It's yes. an eon of time yeah. when stuff like this comes out. Absolutely. You always see Heyman comes out, and then thirty seconds later, you got Andy Martino, who is the Mets guy. Then you got Passan confirming it. Then Rosenthal. Then John Morosi. Then MLB Network goes up in flames, and it all happens within a matter of minutes. Mm-hmm. This was a matter of, I think Heyman was the only person awake. Yeah, he was the only dude awake. And then everyone found out the next morning, mm-hmm. and everything is now up in flames because Carlos Correa the best free agent on the market, not named Aaron Judge, but by dollar amount, actually Aaron Judge still got more money, but by years and dollars combined, Carlos Correa is now a New York Met. And what is crazy, and we're going to talk about the fallout, Steve Cohen, but the fact that before they even get to their best hitter, like I think Pete Alonso is still the best hitter in their lineup. Yeah. Collectively, $818 million between Brandon Nemo who signed an eight-year, $162 million deal. Francisco Lindor, 
13 years, 341. And now Carlos Correa, 12 for 315. Insanity. It's insanity. And it's also, you know, really remarkable how fast they pivoted, right? I mean, you talk about the, you know, unpacking the whole situation here. And uh, it seemed like they just didn't want to waste any time, right? And it was really smart. I'm sure this was Steve Cohen, a big part of this, right? Where he found out, you know, saw the report and said, let's get moving on this. Like, let's not even give the Giants an opportunity to come back here and try to renegotiate something. Let's just pounce and let's strike while the iron's hot. They got in on the Korea negotiations, I think, in the 11th hour. We saw those reports that they were interested, but it was almost a little bit too late. The Giants were so far along with him. And, you know, they were able to kind of, I guess, pick up where they left off. And what's wild, though, and and again, we're not going to speculate on the injury. Stuff will come out, hopefully, and we'll find out a little bit more. But we know Boris is is really good at keeping that information close to his vest, a la Michael Conforto, uh, over the last year and a half, whatever's been going on there. But, you know, he took less, right? So this is this is a, it's it's still a lot of money, but it's less than what he agreed upon with the giants, which was, was 350 million. So you wonder what came up in this medical that, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's a drop in the bucket over the grand scheme of things, but he did agree to a lesser contract like this snap of the finger. Uh, once the giants deal kind of fell through uh, to, to give a little bit more color from Boris, this was his quote uh, that came out earlier today. He said, we reached an agreement. We had a letter of agreement. We gave them a time frame to execute it, Boris said. They advised us they still had questions. They still wanted to talk to other people, other doctors go through it. And I said, look, I've given you a reasonable time. We need to move forward to this. Give me a time frame. If you're not going to execute, I need to go talk to other teams. So I believe that, right? I believe they gave, I'm sure it was a small freaking window. I'm sure it wasn't a lot of time. And for the Giants, right? This is a good franchise. This is a franchise that still has a lot of work to do. And if you feel a little bit wary about your, you know, $350 million investment, I can understand why they wanted to be thorough about this, right? But I can also understand why, you know, if you're Carlos Correa, you don't want to just be sitting around while the Mets maybe go trade for Liam Hendricks, go add other financial obligations and say, sorry, the ship has sailed. Correa just waited a year to get his big payday. He, I doubt he wants to wait another year and, and risk, you know, injury or whatever else may happen, especially if there is some lingering issue. So from a Correa standpoint, I totally get it, right? Get the guaranteed 300 million, whether it's 30 million more or less, who cares? It's $300 million. And from the Giants perspective, I get it too, right? Like it sucks that they lose Correa here, but I'm curious what you think, Peter, because I look at it like this. They needed a lot more than Correa, right? That was a great start. And we celebrated the move because he was going to be the face of the franchise moving forward. And they needed that. But if your face of the franchise is banged up and you don't feel good about this 13 year investment already, right? It's already nuts. We talked about, you know, the fact that it's going to age pretty, it's going to be iffy at age 40 years old, right? If you already have a red flag in in year one of 13, I can understand why the giants, you know, were a little bit nervous about this. I can understand. I can understand. But don't you do your due diligence on a guy before you come to a 13-year, $350 million agreement? Isn't that the case? I mean, I'm not exactly sure, you know, what kind of access they get to medicals beforehand. But Mm -hmm. if you're going to put down this type of investment, the longest amount of years, $10 million less than Aaron Judge, $350 million, and you're behind the eight ball on if you know if this guy is even healthy. That's why I had the confusion where 
shouldn't this work have already been at least 25% done, 50% done? But instead, it seemed like 0% was done because this has been a six-day window. This is not, oh, the next day now he went to the Mets, right? They had yeah. a full week. They had five business days. Yeah. like, And it took this long, and they still needed to go find other doctors' opinions. And it's not like this wasn't Correa had a great year in 2021 and then didn't play in 2022. He played 136 games at a very high level. Mm-hmm. What could have been so lingering? What could have alerted them so much that they said, not only are we going to say we wish you the best, which that's what Farhan Zaidi said, but we're not even going to say, all right, can we do 12 for 320 instead of 12 for 350? No, they're like, we need more they time. Said, that we, we need, need to more consult time. more doctors. Like we need every doctor's opinion and get a consensus. Which and is- in, in that John Heyman piece in the New York Post, he said that a lot of owners that he was speaking with with about Correa when you said the 11th hour had gone to bed. But Steve Cohen is on the phone with Scott Boris with yeah. drinking a martini and eating a dinner. And I think Boris said, is three olives worth your new third baseman? And the way I read it, three olives meant 300 million. <laughs> and I think they ended up making the deal. And I just like, if you are a Mets fan sitting here today, you have to be so over the moon excited because it's one thing, right? It's one thing to gather up a team as superstars or it's one thing to like lose maybe in the World Series or something. But you know in your heart of hearts that your owner, Steve Cohen, your GM, Billy Epler, will do whatever they can to win a championship. And, and sometimes you be. come up short, but there is no sense of, like for other teams where our owner just isn't doing enough and we have the resources to do it. They are pushing all their chips in and they'll see where it falls. They have two aces at the table. And sometimes the other guy gets three of a kind with Queens, but you have two aces. That's all you can do. You go all in. Yeah. Except every time I have pocket aces, I lose my hand and me too. And it's the Mets. So, uh, but no, so you brought up a point and it kind of segued right into another Boris quote, which was really interesting. And again, you got to take everything with a grain of salt because everybody has a horse in this race, right? Everybody has their own angle on this, but we don't have any information. We can only have what Scott Boris told us. And, you know, Boris is still, you know, the goat baseball and sports agent, you know, <laughs> out there. But what Boris said is that you're talking about a player who had, has played eight major league seasons and this injury, he refers to it as something that precedes Correa's time in the majors. So either uh, an injury when he was an amateur or in the minor leagues that, you know, still shows up health-wise, right, in his MRI or whatever test they do. I don't know what a big league physical looks like. Uh, I'll have to ask Jeff about that on the next Outside the Box, which we will definitely be talking about this um, on that podcast because I really want to hear his thoughts on this. But uh, – if if it really is an injury that precedes his big league career, and we're talking about eight major league seasons that he's played since, and yes, he's been banged up here and there, um, and he's had some injury history, but you knew that going into this. So you talk about the groundwork that they laid out, stuff that they should have already known. I'm very curious to see what came out, because if, if Boris is saying, you know, hey, this is an injury that isn't new, that's eight years old, uh, that that really isn't a big deal, makes it even more interesting. Um, I will say... 
the fact that they were able to take this deal so quickly makes you wonder if, you know, the, the, the shortstop market was kind of dead at this point, right? The Cubs got their guy, you know, the, the Padres got their guy. And I think for, for Boris and for Correa at this point, it was like, let's just take the bird in hand here. Sure. Maybe it's 20, 30 million less than we wanted, uh, but let's get that guaranteed money and let's roll. And now he gets to play with his friend, Francisco Lindor, who Lindor was the one making the push for this reportedly. And now, man, like we're going to talk about what this means team wise. We'll get to the giants, but for the Mets, this is, we, we keep hyping up defenses. And I think we're seeing teams really invest in defense because of the limitation of the shift. And and there's going to be some really good defenses. Nico Horner and, and Dansby Swanson up the middle is going to be ridiculous. But I think when you look at what the Mets have now, that's got to be the best defensive infield in baseball. Uh, I, I don't know if there's a better one, right? You got Correa at third, which him at third may be the most, ins- he might be up there with anybody defensively. We'll see how he makes that adjustment. I sure, I'm sure he'll be fantastic. We know what Lindor does at shortstop. McNeil is a spectacular defender at second. And Ryan Ficklestein has highlighted Pete Alonso's turned into an above average defender at first base. This is an insane defensive infield. They are going to be one of the best I think we've seen. And that's only going to help their two Hall of Fame pitchers at the top. This is going to be a really, really fun team to watch, even though they are, uh, you know, almost like the PSG of baseball now. It's a good that's a good comparison because on PSG we just saw the World Cup. You got Kylian Mbappe, you got Lionel Messi, and you yeah. got Neymar all in the same yeah. team. It's kind of similar to here the Mets, but it's not like PSG has won every single title. And that's in baseball, we also know that you can have all of the best players and still not win. But at least right now on the field, this is guaranteed the best infield in baseball. You talk about defense, how about offense? Correa rakes. He had like a 130 WRC plus last year. Hits a bunch of home runs. Lindor, what an offensive season. Over 100 RBIs. Incredible offensive player. Jeff McNeil hit 326. Like he would hit 326 and he had a bad year the year before on offense, but the preceding years were awesome. Like Jeff McNeil is one of the best contacts. He's amazing. He is a great player. We, you know, and then you have Pete Alonso who hits 40 home runs a year and is probably the best hitter of the bunch. Like we talk about defense. They're as good defensively as any infield in baseball. And then offensively, they are as good as any infield in baseball. This team is about as good as humanly possible. All around, you add Correa to the fold, and you create one of the best offenses in baseball. Now, I think what we should talk about, too, because I posted a TikTok about it, and a lot of the questions came up initially. If Correa failed his physical with the Giants, won't he just fail his physical with the Mets? And honestly, sitting here today, it's an interesting question because I think I don't know necessarily if he – failed his physical with the Giants. Mm -hmm. I think the Giants were just a little unnerved about spending $350 million when they weren't totally positive that he was 100% healthy. And I think the Mets were willing to make the plunge because Mm -hmm. they saw what it was and they thought, that's not that bad. We're Mm -hmm. still going to do this, but it's just going to be a little bit less. And I um, think that's the answer to the question, correct? That's where, you know, again, when we're we're given our most most educated guess on that, and I'm with you. Like I, I have the same takeaway here where it's like, yeah, I don't think I don't think Steve Cohen is calling up, you know, Scott Boris and really doing the whole thing all over again and having the same giant situation. I think they said, Okay, what happened here? Like, be honest with me, how'd it go? And then whatever they Boris, I'm sure, laid it out. And he said, Okay, I'm willing to take this risk. But 
for a little bit less, right? And they, they did it for a little bit less. Uh, what I think is interesting in it too is that, you know, the Giants didn't say, all right, Carlos, this isn't going to work. See ya. They said, give us some more time. Let us consult some doctors. And once they said, no, we're not going to wait, then they said, okay, then we, we can't do this. See ya. But it wasn't like this, oh my God, his shoulder is spaghetti. We can't sign this guy. Exactly. It was more like, this is a red flag. Let us do our due diligence. This is a more than a decade investment in a human body. Let us, let us see what's going on here. And, and they weren't willing to wait that out, which I get. Because again, if the Mets make other moves and, and satisfy what they're looking for here, then who else is going to sign Carlos Correa? At that point, it's it's nobody, right? And he's going to take another one of those Minnesota Twin deals and they got to do it all over again. And I don't think he wants to do that again, especially in this market. So it was a perfect time for the Mets to, to kind of swoop in there. And I, I agree with you. I, I think it's kind of the same situation. I want to touch on one thing real quick before we get to like the the implications for the Giants. I also want to talk a little bit about, you know, what this means for like Eduardo Escobar, Brett Beatty and everything like that. Uh, but real quick, just on the, on the baseball side of things. And I know we talked about is Steve Cohen good for baseball. I don't, we don't need to totally unpack that, but I just wanted to, to talk about, you know, what this means from like a, a numerical standpoint to just show how different of a sport is being played by some of the small market teams. And again, I don't think this is a Steve Cohen problem, how different of a game or between the small market teams and, and the Mets. Right. And, I, I understand that, you know, it, parody is important and Steve Cohen is doing, we've never really seen before, but you need to have owners that are capable of, of investing a little bit more into their franchise. And when you see that the payroll plus tax implications for the Mets is 502 million for this year, while Bruce Sherman, the owner of the Marlins and Bob Castellini, the owner of the Reds are each worth less than that. Their entire net worth is less than that. And I know they're not the only owners of their team, but Bruce Sherman owns 46% of the Marlins, which is about the same as his you know entire net worth. So when you look at it from that perspective, right? Like these guys can't really afford to lose one, one year, two years on their franchise. They need to recoup on the revenue sharing. And, you know, they're not willing to really take those multi-year losses to invest into a franchise that is always going to appreciate. Look at what the Phoenix Suns just sold for, $4 billion, right? And the Mets, even if Steve Cohen technically loses money in revenue this year, the Mets are going to appreciate as a franchise because they are really building a force here and they're going to edit it for a long time. And there's a lot of money being just invested. I could go further into that uh, another time, but it just shows you though, when, when you have two owners in the same sport, in the same league that are worth less than what the Mets are paying this year in payroll plus tax implications, how are you going to have spending parity there? And I'm not saying everybody has to spend as egregiously as Steve Cohen, but again, it's just, it's just a different sport right we're, we're seeing the marlins struggle to try to get players to sign for 20 million dollars and, and that's like a big signing for them right i mean avi garcia for 55 million dollars was a big deal for them they hand out a multi-year deal every couple years it seems like and then you've got what the mets are doing right now i don't think it's bad for baseball of course i think it's good but i think it shows how much more we need to raise the bar for these owners to buy even the small market teams you know to get an apartment in new york i have to show 40x monthly rent for an owner to buy a team they should have to show something a little bit more than what they're showing right now. I totally agree. But also at the same time, I don't feel that bad for these small market owners. To your point, yeah. there should be a check of revenue, but there should also be a, like we make you spend. The Oakland A's, yeah. their owner bought the team for about $118 million. It's now worth about $1.2 billion. 
There has been money made along the way. Bruce Sherman, Bob Castellini, they have made money along the way from their teams. And that overall dollar amount of what the team is worth increases year over year over year. So yes, to your point, absolutely. There should be a... There should be some sort of rule that if you're not worth, yeah, if you're not worth this, you don't get this. And it's not that complicated either. And what it's creating is this enormous disparity between Steve Cohen, who's worth $26 billion. And then there's Bruce Sherman, who's worth the Correa deal. Like it's not (laughs) even close to what it is. Um, That's the, and I think, I think a lot of people are wondering, like, is this bad for baseball? I don't think it's bad for baseball because it's one no. thing, Arm. It's one thing if you're an NBA owner and you're worth $26 billion and there's no salary cap and you can put a team together of Giannis, Luca, Steph, LeBron, and the Joker. That That's different. Then you're going yeah. to win or at least like – you're probably going Every, to win. Yeah. In baseball, it's probably much winning. different. Like, it's all at the time. Like, what if Verlander gets hurt? And then, like, what's the pitching going to look like yeah. for the Mets? So I think baseball is a lot yeah. different that they can spend all the money. They can grab every single free agent possible that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win. Like, would you be surprised next year if the Braves no. are still better than the Mets? You wouldn't. Would you be surprised if the Astros still no. take home the World Series? Not. No. So that's that's why in baseball, no. I don't think it's bad, right? No. And, what, and Steve Cohen has admitted this and said this, which I, which I actually loved this point from him. He said, you know, we want to build sustainable success, right? Like we want to draft, develop. We want to build a good farm system. It's not just like they're going to spend their way to success all the time. Like they do want to build, you know, that, that sustainable model. Like we've seen from the Astros, from the Rays, from the Dodgers, the Guardians, some of these really well-run franchises. The difference is, they can spend when they're just short in areas. And the Rays, for example, right? Like they're run better from a from a top to bottom standpoint. But when they're in a hiccup, right? Or when they're trying to bridge the gap, they can't spend to get over the top. That, that's where the Mets are, are able to do that right now, right? Like the franchise, the farm system's not great. You know, they, they needed to, to make up a lot of areas and they could just spend to bridge that gap in the meantime and then build that sustainable success as they have success at the top, draft well, continue to do well. I loved what they did in the last draft. They had a ton of picks, uh, and which is ironic because the Kumar Rocker situation, by the way, as I digress real quick, Scott Boris client, the Mets didn't like the physical, and they pull out of that deal. It seemed like Scott Boris got over however that was handled because – the Mets made up for it with this Correa deal, which was much more than whatever Kumar Rocker's signing bonus was going to be. So that, that is funny that, that the Mets flipped it around on this side of things. But I, I'll say from, from this perspective, it's just like they are making themselves good in the short term, but I still think the plan is to build a sustainably good franchise. And you're not going to be able to just spend to success, right? Like it helps a ton when you can add a Correa and you can add, but you need to have that organizational depth and you've got to be able to build a sustainable winner. And as we've seen, like, you can't just spend your way to success. So it's going to help. It's definitely going to help. And they're going to be really good this year. But to be a perennial contender, you've got to figure it out from top to bottom. And that's why I love baseball. That's why we love baseball, right? Like, this bullpen could still do them in. If Edwin Diaz is not Edwin Diaz next year, like, the bullpen 
could be shaky. Like you mentioned, if Kodai Sanga too, like if he's not who we think he, he could be, then all of a sudden you're still trotting some guy out there. Like that's what's amazing about baseball. You could still be trotting David Peterson out there every fifth day. And he, he was good last year, but was he could, let's say he's not like, and all of a sudden it's still the Mets, right? Like half a billion dollar team and David Peterson can still get beat every fifth day. So like, that's what's cool about baseball. It's different. You can't spend your way to a championship. You can spend your way to contention but you can't spend your way to being a dynasty. And that's what I'm excited about on the flip side. Yeah. With that that said, before we get to the giants, can we talk about the Mets depth? Because at this current moment, James McCann might be traded. They sign Omar Narvaez. They have Francisco Alvarez, Brett Beatty, a prospect that you love was probably going to be the third baseman Mm -hmm. moving forward. Ryan Finkelstein, managing editor of just baseball and our big Mets guy. He basically said, well, Brett Beatty, learn to play left field because yep. you're probably going to get thrown out there now. They still have Mark Canna. They, again, they still have Eduardo Escobar, who could be traded at this point. Like, can you speak to the development that the Mets have done, even though they're spending $500 million and they have all the big toys, you know, playing in the infield right now, but they still have guys in the system who yeah. should contribute. Like, how do you see those prospects ending up this year? Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. And, you know, I think when you look at at Beatty, I was hoping, you know, he would get a ton of run at third base. And you know, ultimately, he's going to be playing a little left. And I think he's splitting time with Mark Canna here because uh, Canna's good, right? Like, he's a solid player, but but Beatty adds way more power. And if you have, you know, Beatty splits against lefties aren't quite as good. I think he's going to be a really, really good player, though. I don't think they want to move him because they, they know how good he can be with the bat. He was not a great third baseman either. So if he can get by at either spot, it's all about the bat with Beatty. I love him in left if he can get comfortable out there. And you look at the outfield, Peter. Brandon Nimmo, he was great last year. The guy's of health. Starling Marte is aging and, and, and is banged up sometimes too. And Mark is banged up sometimes as well. So you, you platoon with Canna, Marte gets some days off, Nimmo gets some days off here and there, and you're going to find a lot of time to get Beatty plenty of ABs in that outfield and left and shuffle other guys around when you need to. So I think Beatty's going to get a lot of run. And I think he's going to be a really, really that, especially if you're sheltering him from lefties, he crushed righties last year. He tapped into more power. The fact that that's going to be like their platoon guy shows you the kind of depth they have. I love the Narvaez edition. Everyone's talking about Francisco Alvarez, where he fits in. You know, I think he has a little bit of ground to make up still offensively. I think he's going to get there, but that's your second catcher and your other DH potentially like they've got their prospects in a perfect spot, right? Because they, the prospects are X factors. They can put you over the top, but you're not counting on your prospects to put you in contention. Right. And I think that is always a recipe for success. You don't count on your prospects. If you do, then you're going to be setting yourself up potentially for failure because not every prospect is going to come up and be Julio Rodriguez and Natalie Rutschman. No matter how good of a prospect they are, guys come up and struggle. Mike Trout, Aaron Judge, we've seen so many of them come up and struggle. This is a much more relaxed role for these guys, and I think that they, that they could be really good in this spot. And let's say Dan Vogelbach isn't what he was last year. Brett Beatty can be that. Uh, so I'm really excited to see how he fits in there and a lot less pressure on him now this year. So the Giants. <laughs> I yeah. genuinely feel bad for this team. And Giants fans do. don't need me to feel bad for this team. They're not looking for pity. They're looking for answers. But for all the outside listeners looking in, Arson Judge was a Giant for about six mm-hmm. minutes. 
Carlos Correa was a giant for six days. They said they were going to go sign the big fish. And now they're left with Mitch Haniger, Ross Stripling, Sean Manaya, and no big free agents left. Let's talk about the fallout from the San Francisco Giants because it's massive. It really is. Um, I forgot about Arson Judge. Oh, these poor fans. Gi- Honestly, Giants fans, like, again, I, I know it probably doesn't mean shit to you. It's like, but man, I, I am sorry. That sucks. That sucks. Really sucks. On the flip side, though, they've had a dynasty. They've had a dynasty. They've seen a lot of World Series in their lifetime. Um, but damn, like, you get fooled with Judge. And then you just get, you know, basically like just just totally hoodwinked with Correa and, and a really unfortunate situation. Um, we were celebrating them for finding that face of the franchise, right? They don't have a face of the franchise now. Um, what do you, do you do? You just punt this year, right? Like, are you just hoping Jock Peterson has a good year and you trade him at the deadline? Are you hoping that like, do you just start playing prospects a little bit? Like, do you consider it's starting to to maybe sell some of your other pieces. Like obviously they're going to go into the season and try their best, right? Like they're going to see how it goes, but we're, we're operating under the presumption that they're going to be sellers at the deadline. Right. I mean, like, there's no way that in the next month or two or whatever, before opening day, that this team can magically get good. Right. Like even if they sign the Trey Mancini's, the jerks and pro the whatever the hell else team's not going to be better. Right. There's no way to make this team a contender by the time we get to opening day. So what, what do you think you, when you go into this year, Peter, you're just kind of punting on the season and, and hoping your prospects develop and seeing what you got at the big league level and try to trade for prospects at, by the time you get to the deadline. Like, I, I don't even understand what they do going into this year. Like what, what is your, what is your mentality here? Because you're going to be projected to, you know, potentially finish in that division. I mean, we look at the rest of the division, like they could be fighting with the Rockies for last place. I agree. Like, I look at this roster and I say to myself, okay. I think the D-backs might be better than that. Like, I like this is. No, I I totally agree with you. Like, at this point, I think to myself, I look at this roster and I say, well, they could completely overpay for Brian Reynolds, whose name has been floated. I assume they're not going to make a trade within the division for a Dalton Varsho or Jake McCarthy or guys like that. But at the same time, like, those guys aren't incredible needle movers even with Carlos Correa they were probably competing for third with the Diamondbacks like competing for third not we're slotting them in at third place now they don't have Carlos Correa there's no free agents left I look at the roster the best player on the team is Jock Peterson and Logan Webb of course like they have a serviceable rotation of of good veterans but it's not a rotation that's going to be competing with some of the better rotations or even the above average rotations. Maybe it's an above average rotation. I don't want to take that away from him because I like what Alex Cobb did last year. Alex Wood's going to bounce back. You know, Stripling was a good pitcher for the Blue Jays, but Sean Manaya was not a good pitcher for the Padres. But then again, the Giants are able to get that last ounce of juice out of these veterans and they are good at it. So what do you do? I think this is a it's kind of a start over for the Giants, and the Giants fans do not want to hear that. But at the same time, yes, to your point, they've won three championships in the past like 12 years. They just won 107 games two years ago. 
maybe this is now the rebuild. This was the nail in the coffin. Now it's, well, we hope Jock rakes, yeah. then we could trade him for prospects. Because I'm curious, how's the giant system right now? It's pretty good. Like, it's, it's all right. It's like middle of the pack, right? You know, so middle of the pack system, team that's not that great. I think they should try and reload this system up, right? And, and do whatever you can. You know, when you have guys like Luciano not quite trending the way you were hoping, Luis Matos has taken a step back. Some of the guys that they've, you know, acquired or drafted early pitching wise have not quite been, you know, what what they were hoping. They've had other guys develop nicely, and I'd say the system's right about middle of the pack. You need a really good system if this is going to be your big league team. And I ask you this now, I, like of the team, I'm going to like list you the roster, like the, the lineup and the rotation. Bullpen, like there's a few guys that I obviously keep if I'm the Giants, like like Duvall and Rogers, and and there's several guys that are good arms in that bullpen. But from this lineup, how many guys would you want? Like, would you say, oh, that guy should be a member of the team in 2024, 2025? Right? Let me know of this group who you want on your roster in 2025. Tyro Estrada, Mike Yaskremski, Mitch Haniger, Jock Peterson, Wilmer Flores, Brandon Crawford, JD Mar- or JD Tavis, sorry, Lamont Wade Jr. Joey Bart, David VR, the bench, it's not not relevant enough. Logan Webb, Alec Hobbs, Sean Manaya, Ross Stripling, Alex Wood. How many of those guys, ballpark, do you want on your ball club in two to three years? Logan Webb. That's it. Right? Am I wrong? Yeah, right. I mean, you'd want Mitch Haniger. Like, that's, he's a I good player, but you could easily trade yeah. him. You'd want Jock Peterson, presumably. You'd want Lamont Way Jr., Tyro Estrada has shown flashes of being a good ball player, but I don't think Giants fans would be upset to see him go. Maybe Alex Cobb, but probably not. I, I, when you told me that roster, the only person I really want to keep, Haniger would, Haniger would be thirty-five at that point. Logan Webb is yeah. the only answer, right? Am I wrong here? Who, who would you keep besides him? Yeah, no, I would say, I would say Logan Webb. Obviously, Jock, if you could have him, but he's going to be a free agent after this year. Um, yeah. And they'll probably trade him. And, like, that's really it. Like, the only guy that I'm saying, like, I have to keep that guy is Logan Webb. And, and Camilo Duvall. Like, Camilo Duvall. Indictment on this team. Yeah. And Duvall. Camilo Duvall, of course. Yeah. Of course. It's like those two guys. But like, that's bad. That's, that's bad. bad. That's yeah. bad. So they need the face of the franchise and they also just need building blocks. And, I think it, when we presume that this team is struggling at the deadline, they should be fielding calls on Yaskremski, on Peterson, on Flores, on everybody. everybody. Everybody should be available except for Logan Webb. I would lock up Logan Webb. He's 26. He's a stud. He's a and, and go from there and go from there. And that is crazy because we were looking at them signing Correa and saying, okay, they're not going to be great next year, but at least they're heading in that direction. They can continue to add around him. We like the Hanniger signing. We like all of these complimentary moves, but it's amazing. Like one player, you subtract the superstar for the next decade, and now we're like, okay, well, what's next for these guys? Maybe they spend big in free agency next year, like sure. But again, you're going to lose Jock Peterson potentially. You know, you're going to lose Yaskremski. I think he has only one or two more years of control. Uh, we'll see what the rotation looks like at that point too. So it's like, it feels like that they're just delayed another year of really being able to, to, to start to push forward again. And if you're just going to have to kind of be delayed another season, you might as well try and replenish that farm system a little bit. What, what are your final thoughts on this Giants team and like what they should do as they move forward? So this is all speculation. This is all speculation. 
But do you think Farhan and the Giants front office and the owner, they took a look at what we're looking at right now and said, if there's a little bit of an issue, we might have to sell. Like, even if we do sign Carlos Correa, do you think it was in the back of their mind, looking at their rosters currently constructed, thinking to themselves, this is not actually going to make us really good. And there are no really other corresponding moves that we can make. Maybe... Not that we use this as an excuse, but we say to ourselves, we look in the mirror and we think, with Correa, are we an 83-win team next year? So is this worth it? That's all speculation. But do you think that was in the back of their heads, right? Look, I think when this became a little bit riskier, you have to look in the mirror and say, okay, well, if Correa doesn't pan out for us, right? Like if he's really banged up, now we're really in trouble. Right, because the rest of this team isn't that good, right? Like, if Correa isn't great for the Mets, the Mets still have a really nice core for a long time, right? I, and they still have Lindor, and yeah. I think they're going to extend Alonzo, and McNeil's still under control for a couple of years, and, like, they're fine. But, yeah, it, it, there was no team that added a major free agent that needed him to be that dude yeah. more than the Giants adding Correa. So, yeah, I think, you know, when they took a step back and said, hey, like, okay, we are in a spot here where if Correa isn't 100% of Carlos Correa, we're doomed. And yep. I think that really started to spook them. It may have kind of shook them and forced them to look in the mirror. Because if you're a confident franchise, we know the Giants are a confident franchise. From the owner to Farhan Zaidi, they all, they've been a dynasty. They know that they can get back there. They probably said, okay, we're going to get Correa. That's our, that's our centerpiece. That's our face of the franchise. And we'll make the moves we need to make to get there around him. We'll make it happen. But when it started to real, like when they started to realize that, hey, Correa may not be this slam dunk superstar for the next decade if for whatever reason the medicals concern them that much. Yeah, that might have been that little splash of water in the face of like, oh no, what's our what happens if Correa is not that dude? And I, I think that's that's and if it didn't happen, it probably should have because if I'm in that position, I think I would think of that. You want to be confident in yourself, but you got to be realistic. Yeah. And being realistic, if Carlos Correa is not on the field every day for this team, this team blows. And we're talking about it right now because he's not going to be on the field every day for this team now. He's going to be doing it for the Mets. And this team blows. So, I, you know, I, I'm sorry, Giants fans, but I think they've got to reset, man. I really do. I think they've got to reset and and see how things go. Um, I know it's not in their in their DNA, and I'm really interested to see how they handle this moving forward. But at the same time, Let's shine a light on this situation if there is one. Because if they are able to get a good first half from Jock, maybe a decent first half from Hanniger, I don't think they're just going to trade Hanniger if he hits 280 in the first half and it's like, all right, see ya. No. But there are a lot of pieces on this team where potentially if they have good first halves, they could flip them and do really well here. Because it's not like this team mm -hmm. is garbage. Like, they yeah. have decent veterans that if they have a good first half, they can be flipped for meaningful prospects. So while sure. they have a decent system at this point, you know, they have Luciano, they have Kyle Harrison, they have other names that I'm sure you can talk about. They could potentially yeah. load up, start yeah. from the bottom. They still have money to spend. It's clear that they have the money to spend. Maybe this is a two-year rebuild. And then we yeah. see a better Giants team that could potentially, they could have been kind of landlocked if they got Carlos Correa kind of playing in purgatory. Now mm -hmm. you go all the way to the bottom and then you can go all the way back up to the top. No, so this totally. weirdly 
could be seen as a blessing in disguise. I know right now it's the worst thing possible and everything is shit. If I'm a San Francisco Giants fan, I'm sitting in a puddle of urine crying (laughs) because this is as bad as it's going to get. But our job is to see the light. And there is a light at the end of the tunnel. This could actually be the better decision moving forward for the Giants if things work out with trading for prospects and those prospects work out. This well, could and, end up being okay, right? Yeah. Well, and here's here's an interesting part too, is I, you know, when I'm talking about like the pessimistic side, it's for next year. Like there, I don't see a way where they're exactly. competitive next year. So punting one year sucks. But how about this, Peter? You know who's a free agent next year? Shohei Otani. Rafael Devers. Oh yeah. Hip-hip. Rafael Devers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If they throw that money that way, if you get Devers, you know, there's some other guys like Ian Happ, you know, good free agents here and there. Um, Harrison Bader will be a free agent. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez. There's going to be some other studs. Shohei Otani should be a free agent if the Angels can't extend him. That might have factored into it too. They might have said, hey, look, okay, we would love to have Correa and we'd love to be you know, more competitive next year. But if we're going to spend this much money, maybe we just wait another year, be patient and make the sound investment, which is investing in a generational talent like Shohei Otani or a Rafael Devers who is obviously one of the best hitters in the game and very young and that contract will age really well. Like there's a lot of really good options for next year. So that is the silver lining giants fans. And clearly the giants want to spend, they were about to do it with Correa. They were trying to do it with Arson judge. Like they, they are going to spend maybe just got to wait one more year to do it. And I'm sorry, giants fans, but patience is a virtue. We've been waiting way longer for our favorite teams to win a world series than you have to wait. So, uh, you got to wait one more year before you sign that superstar. But I agree, Peter. Replenish with some prospects. Keep Hanniger. Keep some of those other guys that are, you know, part of what years. Um, Logan Webb, of course, as well, too. And then go get that big whale next year because there's going to be some big studs in that free agent market again next year as well. Carlos Correa is a New York Met, creating one of the best teams in Major League Baseball. They already were, and now it's who else is going to beat them? But at the same time, San Francisco Giants, I do think that it's going to be okay. I do trust in Farhan. I do trust in that team to be able to rebound from this and create a good team. Now, will it be next year? I don't think so. Will it be the year after? Maybe not. But within the decade, I do think that they will be a very good team at some point. And I expect it to be within a couple of years. This isn't a five, seven year rebuild and it's over for the foreseeable future. This no, is they'll, a, they'll do the Cubs style, the, the Cubs style, quick rebuild. That's what they'll do. Exactly. But I even think it's going to be quicker than the Cubs because at the same time, the Cubs in 2016, it's now entering the 2023 season and they're still a third yeah. place team. Like it's relatively quick, but I think it'll be much quicker than that. Even. Um, because the Giants still do have a pretty good farm system. Like, you know, I'm not going to compare the Cubs to the Giants, but I have more faith in the Giants. So I'll be real with you. I do. Um, I, to, I to, so to come out of this hole. So that'll do it for this yeah. episode of the Just Baseball Show. We're going to be back tomorrow. Of course, all three of us. We're going to discuss the week in baseball. Might play some GM. Might do something. But I also, um, like I said, or like Arm said, 
Go check out Outside the Box with Jeff Conine. Arm's going to get the perspective from a former major leaguer. And then I'm hopping on with Taylor Davis for our new podcast, Show and Go. It'll be Jack McMullen and Taylor Davis. They have a full slate of interviews with big leaguers. It's going to be awesome. But on this episode, it's episode two of Show and Go. I'm going to be basically asking him his winners of the offseason, as well as get a major league player, minor league player's perspective on physicals, how all this stuff works. So Arm's going to be talking to a Miami Marlins legend, a guy who's been in the in Major League Baseball now for two decades plus, and I'm going to be talking to a guy who's right now in the thick of it here at yeah. Just Baseball. We have all this new stuff coming out. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us five-star review on Apple, Spotify. If you're on YouTube, hit us with a like, hit us with a comment, subscribe, let us know what you thought about this deal. And of course, we'll be back on Friday. Anything else before we say goodbye, Arm? Oh, man, I'm... I mean, this is just crazy times in baseball. Every time we think it's going to start to settle down, it doesn't. Um, I love it. It's fun content. I'm having fun. And I'm excited for the Mets to be the villain of baseball. So I'm looking forward to that next year. It should be a really fun season. And we're getting geared up for what's going to be a blast of 2023 for the just baseball side and on just the MLB side as well. So I'm really pumped for that. With that, thank you. Everybody.